Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to share together. We ask for your Holy Spirit to guide and direct our thinking and attitudes, and we pray for your converting power to come upon all of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Alrighty, well, just a brief overview for the week. We're going to be dealing with, today I'm going to deal with the uh, spiritual aspect primarily, but we're going to get into America and prophecy, not just the, the um, nuts and bolts of it, we're going, but, well, we'll do some of that too, but we're going to deal with, uh, with uh, religious liberty primarily and, uh, and, and see what's, what's going on not only here in America, but overseas. And if, I'm, if we have time, I'm gonna deal with a study on popes and presidents. <laughs> the last 12 presidents have had an audience with the pope. And, uh, <clears throat> but we go all the way back to- David bowed down. I know, I know, yeah, uh, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, uh, <clears throat> but it's, uh, it's coming, you know, it's, the message that God has given to us is, is, uh, has been pretty, pretty specific. And we're seeing some of that stuff unfold. And uh, so anyhow, the before the Lord comes, the three angels' messages are going to go with power. Chapter 18, we'll look at that also. Uh, <clears throat> the first verse speaks about the, uh, the angel speaking and the entire world is going to be lightened with his glory. And it's the glory of God. Uh, <clears throat> and so here we go. The light is now shining and... Uh, Two aspects, the faith of Jesus and the law of God in Revelation 14, 12. The faith of Jesus is a faith that believes not only the absence of feelings, but against them. And that's his faith, the kind of faith that Christ had, especially in Gethsemane and on the cross. And that's what he wants to implant within us. And uh, <clears throat> we'll, we'll get into some of that a little bit later. But <clears throat> both the third and the fourth angel's message, the fourth one would be Revelation 18, 1 through 4. There are communications of justification by faith in Christ alone, but also with that is liberty of conscience. And we will probably go back into the Reformation and see the foundation of that. All of Western society is based on the premise of justification by faith. And we'll look at that as not today, but another time. But I thought we'd start with uh, just reading uh, in Revelation 14. You're familiar with these, but it's good to just read them over again. And uh, <clears throat> some of, some of the text will have on the screen, but I thought it'd be good to, just to feel the feel the paper. <clears throat> but beginning with verse nine, he says, "Another angel followed them, saying, Babylon is oh, that's verse eight. Babylon is fallen, is fallen. Uh, that great city, because she made all nations drink of the wine of the wrath of her fornication." Then a third angel followed them, saying with a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and his image and receives his mark on his forehead or in his hand, he himself should also drink of the wine of the wrath of God, which is poured out full strength into the cup of his indignation, and he shall be tormented with fire and brimstone in the presence of the holy angels and in the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment ascends forever and ever, and they have no rest, day or night, who worship the beast and his image, and whoever receives his mark, or the mark of his name. And then verse 12, here is the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. 
I want to point out one thing before, and we'll come back to this later on, but maybe not today even, but in verse 11, where it says they, those who worship the beast in his image, uh, just before that, it says they have no rest. <laughs> that's present tense. That's not future. So there's, and there's a reason for that. And I think some of the, what we're seeing in the world today uh, is the result of rejecting God, rejecting his law, rejecting salvation. And uh, so right now we can see the turmoil going on. Yes? Would that, Mike, would that be possibly linked to Hebrews chapter 4? In which, no, on the rest, the you mean? Having no rest? Yes. Yeah, I believe, yeah. The, uh, I'd say all of the commandments. It's great yeah, peace right. have they who love thy law, you yeah, know, yeah, that so type of thing. Yeah, self-righteousness. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Righteousness by faith is... is uh, is um, rest. Uh, uh, Romans 5.1 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Yeah. And in Isaiah 32, and I'll look at those another time, but Isaiah 32.17 says that the work of righteousness is peace <laughs> and assurance forever. And tremendous. Get that from the Lord. Isn't that wonderful? Yeah, peace. yeah. But that's, that's right. Now let's, let's go to uh, chapter 18 and read the first, verse, first four verses here. Um, this is the fourth angel that follows, and it's actually a combination of the first three angels of chapter 14. Same message, and there's a repeat of the second uh, angel in verse 2. Verse 1 says, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And I think the, the terminology here is great power. Yes. And uh, the earth was, was um, illuminated with his glory. And this is the this is God's righteousness. His, uh, the, angel, the angels are messengers. You and I, you know, we, we're a part of the three angels' messages in that we're giving the message. So it's not talking about angels coming from heaven. Well, they're coming, I'm sure, to, to uh, strengthen that type of thing. But they're not declaring this thing unless there's isolated places in the world, and they're, they're certainly doing that. So when it, then verse 2 is a, a repeat of uh, the second angel's message. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. So before the, before this thing wraps up, there's going to be people coming out. Maybe I'll share a, an illustration of this, or an example. There's a pastor that I know was giving a series of evangelistic meetings, and he was re repeating several times verse 4, because he had a nun in his audience. <laughs> and so he was trying to get her to take a stand, you know, for for the truths that we, we hold. And she didn't move, night after night after night. And so, <clears throat> but one night she brought her Douay Reims Bible, which is a Catholic Bible, or the Latin, it was in English. And uh, as the preacher was reading, reading that, coming out of her, my people, she read hers, and it says, go out from her, <laughs> my people. And that's what triggered, she got out, she left, left the Catholic Church and became a Seventh-day Adventist. What is their version Go out. go out from her. Go out of her. Yeah. Oh. So it can be translated either way. Now, what would be heard there? The church itself? 
Yeah, the Catholicism, yeah, yeah. Or Babylon, Babylon has fallen. Verse 2 uh, in, includes all religions of the world that have um, been on a slide, especially since 1844. When they started rejecting 1844, the message, even though Miller and his associates didn't have it, it was not clear, uh, they had mixed up. They were mixed up on the on the event. They thought that Christ was coming, yeah. rather than something going on in heaven. Yes. Now, this verse two here is talking when the fall is complete, right? Yes. Because in Revelation fourteen, the fall isn't right. Yet. It's, the, it's in the process. Right, and it's it's been a, general, a, a gradual process since eighteen forty four, and there's still some honest people in there, and maybe whole churches. There are many pastors that I've known that I, I believe they're serving God. Uh, you know, I've had some discussions, some, but uh, go ahead. Um, I, I studied with a young family south of here, pretty close to uh, Burlington. And uh, the, first, the first night I was there, his dad learned that I would come, had come. And uh, so he went in the other, in the, another room. We were in the kitchen. And uh, the son finally says, well, why don't you come on and talk with us? You know, you don't have to be sitting there by yourself. So he came out and sat at the table. And he was wondering what religion I was. And I told him I'm a Seventh-day Adventist. And he had a good report. He said, oh, he said, they've helped me uh, health-wise, you know. So it was very positive. But we were talking about the Sabbath. And the son said, I've never heard anything like this before. <laughs> you know, so, so I went back. And Shirley and I went a few times. Uh, wonderful people. But... Um, I haven't been back to him now. I called him once and he couldn't meet with me because his, his dad was sick. And so I said, well, I'll go see your dad, you know. So, uh, <clears throat> but um, he, Andy Weaver, you mentioned, he has made contact with him. And this Amish man, I understand, is a Sabbath keeper. He's not, not a member yet. But there's something going on in the Amish communities. Uh, not, I mean, it may be across the United States. And uh, they are, younger people are turning away from from their legalism and there's some of them are going into evangelicalism yeah. some are becoming Adventists and uh, I know I met there's some I've studied with here or not here but in Battle Creek and they come up driving big uh, big trucks you know <laughs> and this is this is a brand new thing for them because yeah. yeah and they're uh, they're still doing their work you know yeah. but they're they're being freed from from what's happening but the people are uh, the, the leaders are, are disfellowshipping them as soon as they step online. They deny a lot of things in the world that we need to. Yeah, they're, they're good people. Yeah, yeah. All right, I wanna, here's the Spirit of Prophecy statement on dealing with uh, the third angel's message. Uh, <clears throat> April 1 of 1890. Several have written to me inquiring if the message of justification by faith is the third angel's message. And I have answered, it is the third angel's message in verity or in truth. And uh, here, uh, I've got a few statements here on this. Great power and glory were imparted to that angel, and as he descended, the earth was lightened with his glory. This is dealing with chapter 18, verse 1. And here, from 2SM, uh, 116, the substance of the second angel's message is given again. That's what we've already read about uh, verse 2 of chapter 18. Uh, by that other angel who lightens the earth with his glory. These messages will, will all blend in one to come before the people in the closing days of this earth's history. 
So there will be a scattering, but there's going to be a gathering also. We want to be among the gathers, <laughs> being gathered. Um, Christ and his righteousness are to be so blended with the third angel's message that the whole world may be lightened with his glory. All should have a personal experimental, experimental knowledge of what Jesus may be to them, or they cannot proclaim the truth as it is in Jesus. So we need to spend time every day with him. The Desire of Ages is a tremendous book. Uh, I've read it many times. I read it once backwards, not sentence by sentence, but chapter by chapter. Uh, but it's a, uh, it's a tremendous one. And the way I've done it is, uh, usually at the beginning of each chapter, they'll have several gospel references, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll read all of those, and then I'll read the chapter. And sometimes it takes me a long time to get through, but... It doesn't matter. I've spent a week sometimes on a paragraph in that book. It's just tremendous to, to be able to you know, study Christ. Now, the, another one. This is from the General Conference Bulletin, 1893. The message of Christ's righteousness is to, sound, is to sound from one end of the world to the other. This is the glory of God which closes the work of the third angel. Again, that's Revelation 18 that coming together with that. Another one. The Savior of men will be glorified and the earth will be lightened with the bright shining of the beams of his righteousness. He is the fountain of light and light from the gates ajar has been shining upon the people of God that they may lift him up in his glorious character before those who sit in darkness. Now, I'm going to get into the, not today, but I'm going to get into the uh, Bill of Rights, the Constitution, and the Declaration of Independence. One of the problems that the Americans had with the British it was primarily with the king, and it was because of his character, and they spelled it out in, toward the end of the Declaration of Independence, that his, his character was not, uh, not up to par with what they were thinking. You know? So we'll, we'll deal with that. But it's, it's a character issue for God's people in the last days. And uh, um, the enemy will hate it. When we start reflecting the image of Christ uh, in our lives, uh, it, you know, we'll have problems with it, but... The Savior of men will be glorified, and the earth will be lightened with the bright shining of the beams of his righteousness. He is the fountain of light, and light from the gates ajar has been shining upon the people of God, that they may lift him up in his glorious character before those who sit in darkness. And uh, that's uh, 1880 materials, page 1075, or Review and Herald, uh, November 29 of 1892. Now, in the book of Revelation... Actually, it's the book of grace. And uh, let's look at, uh, it it begins with grace and it ends with grace. And um, I have a a, um, diagram that we'll show in a little bit here. But in verse, chapter 1, verse 3, we have where uh, John lays down the the idea of of grace. Verse 3, blessed is he who reads, and those who hear the words of this prophecy keep those things which are written in it, for the time is near. Verse 4, it should have been 4 rather than 3. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ. So you've got, uh, we got the Father in verse 1, but it's a threefold blessing of grace uh, for God's people. Then if we go to chapter 22, the last, the last uh, chapter in the book, um, we see grace again. And John, is, it seems like he's almost 
doing the same thing that, well, he was doing the same thing that Paul did. Almost every book of Paul starts with grace and ends with grace. And John does the same thing here. In verse, uh, verse 21, the last verse, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Amen. So it begins with grace and ends with grace. And everything in between is dealing with grace. And the, the fight over grace. Grace, there's two, two aspects to grace. One is that it's unmerited favor, and that goes to the whole world. Uh, the grace of God encircles the entire world to keep everybody alive. That doesn't save everyone. The second aspect of grace is the power of God working in the life to change changes from the inside. It's by faith, by faith in Christ. Yeah. Here is uh, this is uh, something I put together to illustrate this. Um, we've got grace on each end, called the bookends of Revelation, and you have the seven churches, and then you have the new earth. You have the seven seals, you have the thousand years, you have the seven trumpets and the seven bowls, and then in the midst of this you have the three angels' message. This is the highlight of the book. I would say from chapter 12 on through 14, that's centered in, the, in, in this, yes. With, uh, as I mentioned, chapter 12 through 14, this is the center of the book as far as uh, the activity. Chapter 12 is the beginning uh, of a line of prophecy, and I'll, I'll have a statement I'll show you a little bit later. But the first part of Revelation is dealing with the historical, and the other is the last day events. And uh, both of them together give us a, a complete picture. Now, the third angel, as we've already read, Melon White, she says the third angel's message is justification by faith and verity. So that's the center of the book. This is why I believe that the three angels are the center and not, well, chapter 12 is dealing with the issue fighting great controversy over this. But it's in chapter 14 that zeroes in on the message of righteousness by faith. Verse 6, he has the everlasting gospel, and then it ends with, here is the faith of Jesus. And I believe that is, that's uh, central, as far as I can understand. Chapter 12, so an overview. Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Yes. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Our faith, faith of Jesus. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. So, and here, here's another, uh, there are different ways of looking at uh, the book of Revelation. Here's another one that um, I started studying a few years ago. Uh, you have the seven churches, and you have the seventh church, which is Laodicea, and each, uh, each segment takes us to a certain point, and then they'll continue. But here, this, it ends with the message of Laodicea. And I want to make this point. There is no eighth church. If there were an eighth church, God would have to start over and work a couple hundred years to get people up to par again. And so he's, he's got to work with what, he, what he's got with us. You know. He's going to use the shaking to get yes. a remnant. And it's going to be very painful. People need to respond. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, but... Thank God that he's in charge. Yeah, no, I heard, I heard one preacher, and I don't remember who it was, and I don't know how well accepted it is that this. He's, he also pointed out there is no eighth church, but yet the seventh church doesn't look like a very good picture of God's faithful, that they would be actually going back to the, returning back to the sixth of Philadelphia. I, in fact, I've known people who do not want to be associated with Laodicea. And so they say, we are Philadelphia. What, what does Philadelphia mean? Brotherly love. Brotherly love. 
but I find that these guys do not have brotherly love <laughs> for, for the brothers. You know, uh, not maybe not all of them, but um, uh, but yeah, it's true. But I'll tell you what: study the Laodicean message and pick out Christ all the way through. The center of the Laodicean message is Jesus Christ. It starts with Christ and it ends with Him. So, so uh, uh, he does. There's no accommodation for Laodicea, but I heard one the terminology of Laodicea uh, is overcomer. Is that well, it's, well, Christ says, who, the one who overcomes will be able to sit in my throne with me as I overcame. Yeah. yeah. But the message itself acts, uh, stops with Christ knocking at the door yeah. on the outside, wanting to come in. And that can be personalized uh, with us. Uh, but the message itself is Christ centered. And uh, in that, it ought to get to our heart. Uh, but God has no accommodation. It was so bad. Picture, yeah. you know, like you said, you can't sit, sit even though he's going to complain. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of confusing. The picture is basically a Christless church because he's not on the inside, he's on the outside. Yeah. And, but, but then he still refers to it as But he's inside. Yeah. He comes in us. What he says in the very, in the very passage, uh, those who are loved, I rebuke and chasten. So it's, yeah. And he's... Yeah. I mean, church. I mean, the greatest promise yeah. to anybody comes through the Laodicean church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and the word itself is not bad. It's a good word. It's two words. Laos, which means people. The last part, uh, Laodicea, comes from judgment or justice. It can be, uh, you can deal with uh, ju- judgment, justification, <laughs> yeah. God's people be, uh, for the last days. So there's nothing wrong with the name itself. But it's the condition that people, they want to avoid the name even. <laughs> Yet these people are going to stand like never before once in Christ. Yes. Yeah, there's no doubt about it. That's glorious yeah. hope right there. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Sometimes when I start a, a seminar, I'll ask a question. <clears throat> how many, how many Seventh-day Adventists are on the books worldwide? <clears throat> now I started when they were, they were saying there was 18 million. And I would, I would say this, and I said, what are you going to do when you see 10 million people flee the Adventist church. It's going to happen. Huh? Oh, it's, oh, I do too. It doesn't matter what the size, if, if, uh, if, if we had uh, several million, say 100 million, the majority will leave because of lack of a strong conversion. Uh, volume 5, uh, she, she speaks that, she says, that will be our test when the majority leave us. And it's not going to be easy. You know, we need to be sure that we're rooted and grounded in Christ. Right. We may not know how, all the ins and outs of last day events, but God will open those up to us as, we, as we're focused on Him. Now you know why I marry every morning instead of Martha. I'm yeah. getting married because I don't spend some corruption that's inside me. Spend, spend time. None of us do. So, yeah. so here, then you have the seven seals. And they take us a little bit farther. They deal with the sealing, the last, the last element. Uh, the last seal is dealing with the same time uh, as the seventh church. Then you have the seven trumpets. They take us right up to the end. And then it talks about the destroyers of the earth will be destroyed in chapter 11. Then you have, uh, this is the one I was talking about. These are the seven heads. That's how I've turned this one. Chapter 12 talks about the the devil or the the beast, the dragon with seven heads, and and so and then the last part of that is the three angels with a loud cry 
and this is going to call God's people out of there. Then we enter into this, the thousand years, and this one takes us all the way to the restoration of, of uh, Jerusalem, the restoration of the earth. And so each one, there looks like there's a pattern. It's just it's one way of studying it. There's different ways of studying the book of Revelation. But uh, I like this one. Um, now here we've got, well, I've got some uh, pictures here. of The first apartment, Christ as the mediator. Second part, he's mediator, but he takes, continues that, but he also deals with the work of judgment. And then the ceiling, and then the seven trumpets. It's interesting, chapter 8 and chapter 9. Uh, were you going you gonna to say something? Okay, okay. Um, if I see a hand, sometimes I, th I think maybe someone wants to talk. But in chapter 8 and chapter 9 of Revelation, you have the altar of incense. And, uh, so that, and that's first department uh, ministry. Uh, there is some, the book of uh, Hebrews uh, presents the incense in the, in the uh, second apartment. Uh, but that's on the Day of Atonement. And, or it is for us now. And, and, uh, but um, so the ministry of Christ was going on in the first six trumpets. Um, now, here, this is the one from the Great Conference. This is where I got this one. The line of prophecy in which those symbols are found, and this is dealing with the dragon, the beast, the image of the beast, the three years of messages and all that, as you're talking about afterwards, before this chapter. But uh, the line of prophecy in which these symbols are found begins with Revelation 12, with the dragon that sought to destroy Christ at his birth. And this is the first picture we get in chapter 12. And then you mentioned about the last verse is dealing with that same devil after God's people. Same principle all the way through to destroy. He couldn't do it with Christ and he's not going to be able to do it with the church. As bad as it may seem. It, uh, it's, uh, um, and it, it's going to get worse <laughs> before it gets better. Um, but anyhow, here um, this uh, from 31 AD to 1844 light came only from the first department. The ministry of Christ um, was conveyed to his believers on the earth. Um, in fact, here during that period of time, you had starts with Ephesus and then ends with Laodicea in 1844. If you can see that, yeah. So here we have the uh, steps down from Ephesus all the way to Thyatira. That was the end, that's the bottom. I, in fact, I say this is the bottom rock this is the rock upon which the papers is built, <laughs> not Peter. And, uh, and then from at that time, you have the Reformation coming in, Sardis, Philadelphia, and then Laodicea. But God has been building, uh, and everyone, each church here from Sardis on to Laodicea, he's been adding new doctrine, not, well, I shouldn't say new, recovering them, but also then an experience that goes with it. The danger is hanging on to just the doctrine without experience with Christ. But the doctrines in Christ uh, should go together. I, I, I illustrate this like uh, a human body. Um, I liken the doctrinal aspect to a skeleton of, of the body. And the gospel with the wrapping around the skin, if you please. And then I ask the question, how would you like to hug a bag of bones? <laughs> And, and if you don't have a skeleton, uh, what are you going to hug? <laughs> you got a puddle of putty. So we need both. We need the structure, but we also need the, the flesh that fills, fills us in. And uh, so we need the, and I, I'd say that do, all doctrine is an extension of Christ, of his character. 
Pardon me? Yeah, yeah, exa- yes, thank you. Yeah, yeah, right. All true doctrine. doctrine. Um, so the time for the message of the third angel of Revelation 14 began, as we believe, in 1844. And so we have here the change of from the light coming out of the first apartment. Now we have it coming out of the second apartment. Those who are going only to the first apartment are missing out. And I've got a statement here of what what's going on with many who are trying to close that door and uh, going back into the first apartment. Yeah. yeah, I've got... A great you said that, that box up there that you're representing the, the sanctuary. That I, yes. I didn't miss that. So. Oh, yeah, yeah. I'm, or maybe I didn't say the... Didn't I say the sanctuary frame? first apartment. Yeah. First you were saying that, and I thought, wait a minute, maybe it's... Yeah. I may not have said that I was studying Revelation in the sanctuary frame. I usually do, but I may not have. So, yeah. I got a question. Yeah. Uh, I've read from Ellen White that uh, Satan does enter the uh, holy place after Christ is left. Now, what does he hope to accomplish there uh, primarily by moving in to the. To deceive. Well, I've got a statement. We'll look at it. And it little... I, I thought maybe it was that we continue to confess our sins without getting. No, no, they're not. He carries on the religious. carries on the religious work that Jesus did essentially before 1844. Yeah. And if we just want to go back to the holy place experience and not yeah. go on with Jesus yeah. into the most yeah. place. Actually, instead of uh, getting the sins removed. Well, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. say that entirely. I mean, because before. I mean, Luther and those yes. people, they were yeah. in the holy place experience. Yeah, absolutely. They had victory over sin. Yes, yeah. So, but it wasn't well, a finished work. So this is a finished Well, yeah. Yeah, it could not have been a, a perfected work you because the law of God had not been fully accepted by, by Protestantism. Yes, so being finished by say Christ has left the holy place to finish it by us coming the most. Actually, what... That's what, I thought. what he's what he's doing in the second apartment is identical to what he was doing in the first apartment. He didn't lay that aside. That continues in the second apartment with an additional work, yeah. which is a, atonement or the yeah, cleansing that. and that type of thing. I just didn't so, know exactly. Yeah. I thought he wanted to keep the people with the idea of just confessing says not have overcome. Well, he doesn't. Yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't want attention focused on Christ as our high priest in yeah. the second apartment. But that's where the light is coming from today. That's about what I'm saying. Uh, uh, it's not coming directly from the first apartment. Yeah. And these are symbols too, to help, but to help us to understand uh, that the message that God has given to us, that's where the light comes through. Yeah. 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 I've been hearing recently over the past couple of years that um, people have been teaching that the Holy Place ministry only um, justified us and covered our sins, but the sanctification part was left out and some people are teaching now that the most holy place is the sanctification part which hmm. doesn't make sense to me right? no it doesn't yeah it doesn't fit but. no if you if you um you can't have justification without sanctification That's right. it, it goes now justification comes first i've got some statements here but and and, and the sanctification needs to be covered by christ because we're still growing in sanctification. We're not growing in justification. <laughs> but that continues also. And we'll look at a, we'll look at a verse here. Huh? I kind of believe Dennis Preet, and justification is in two parts. 
because it's not that much different from Jack Sequoia. Only he was leaning on legal justification. Nobody has any confidence what God did for us. Yeah. So, but he, what Dennis has said, I, I had a little struggle with it. He says there's a justifying process in two halves. One, what God did for all men corporately. The other, what he's doing in each individual. Okay, two aspects, yeah. yeah. Well, I think Sequoia believes that too. Which is but really may not be articulated as well, yeah. But anyhow, uh, so, but the light comes. Now, in here, this is a statement, again, from Ellen White. From the Holy of Holies, there goes on the grand work of instruction. See, the instruction came in the first department. But in 1844, there was a change in position for Christ and a change in the instruction for the last days. Um, The angels of God are communicating to men. Christ officiates in the sanctuary. We do not follow him into the sanctuary as we should. Christ and angels work in the hearts of the children of men. Um, this, you can find that in um, 1880 Materials, page 27. And there are other ones there too. So now we have, um, um, coming back now, in the first department, you have the Protestant reformers. And the doctrines that they had were, were good and true. There were things that were probably everyone, probably all of us have, were a little bit errant, uh, a little wrong in some areas. But God used these people, and he was preparing, trying to prepare Christianity for the cleansing of the sanctuary, right up until time. And it wasn't until the churches began to reject what Miller was presenting, well, Miller himself finally gave up discouragement because it didn't come out like he, like he had hoped it to. They thought Christ was coming back to earth again. And they didn't, did not discover the work of Christ and the light coming from the second apartment. So what we have is the remnant Protestant reformers. And we, uh, we don't want to discard what the early Protestants did, but we need to be sure that we're in line with the light that comes from the second apartment, because that is the light that is now shining, and it, it's twofold. Yeah. Uh, now, I would say that Luther was strong on the law. He did not understand it fully. Uh, there was, uh, he had a, some Sabbath keepers in his uh, group, and he, he began to battle the Sabbath because, see, he thought that the Jews would be converted through the gospel. He was sold on that. When they did not respond as he should, then when you had Christians that were saying we ought to observe the Sabbath, he placed them with Jews. <laughs> and he said, we're not going to go that route. And uh, so he didn't have the light, didn't receive the light. But it may be that God was, well, we know that he was coming out of terrible darkness and but the light that he had is still shining. There's a problem now within Lutheranism where they're dialoguing and they've caved in on the issue of justification by faith. Catholics and Lutherans have been studying that for 25 years, and they've already made a recent agreement. And uh, and it and it isn't it isn't the it's not what Luther taught. So yes. Well, there were other things though. You take on the communion. He, he, was, he lined up pretty close with, with what the Catholics taught about it being the actual body and blood of Christ. You know, not quite, but he, he broke off communication with other Protestants who said, no, it's only symbolic. So he, he, did not, he didn't see everything clear. But, the second yes, exactly. Yeah. I remember I was in a, in a Lutheran lady's home, and we're, she, I don't know how we got to talking about the Sabbath even, but... Um, 
she says, well, we keep, uh, we keep the commandments of God. And I said, well, you don't know that your, your, your catechism doesn't have the second commandment in it? No, it does too. <laughs> so she went and got it, and sure enough, it was there. It just shocked her. <laughs> and uh, she never, as far as I know, she never became an Adventist, not while I was there. But, but anyhow, coming back to this, this uh, uh, the faith of Jesus, especially demonstrated on the cross, and then the law of God. And the, the big difference between justification by faith in uh, evangelicalism and according to the Bible, justification by faith always, always brings us into harmony with God's law. And a loving relationship, not, uh, not legalism. But uh, in fact, maybe we could read that in, in Romans chapter 3, where uh, the law actually testifies in our behalf. Chapter 3, and probably beginning with verse 21, he says, the, Now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of Christ, which is through... And I've got the New King James, and it's not an accurate translation. The Old King James is, is right on. The righteousness of God, which is through the faith of Jesus. Most translations have faith in Jesus, but it's actually the faith of Jesus. Um, and uh, <clears throat> to all and, and all who believe, for there's no difference. But it's interesting that the righteousness of God, apart from what we can't go to the law, it is a standard of righteousness, but we cannot go to the law and get righteousness. It's an impossibility. But we go to Christ, and so the law looks at us, and it testifies on our behalf in the sanctuary above that we have the genuine article. It's, it's, it's a witness in our behalf. Romans, what? Romans chapter 3 and verse 20, uh, well, probably I, I read uh, from 21 and 22. Yeah. So that would condemn this. Now, so, Absolutely, yes. And you compare that with uh, Galatians 3.24, that the, <clears throat> the law was our tutor or schoolmaster to drive us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. And then he sends us back to the law for re regulation. Uh, yeah. Isn't it true that Wagner, when he talked about justification, he called it imparting of righteousness? Yes, Jones did too, and so does Ellen White. And so does Ellen White. Okay. Yep. Yeah, this she is. She says imputing of righteousness, but I think she, she does too. In the imparting, uh, when I read yes. her context, it sounds more mm. like the imparting of yeah. righteousness. She deals, I think, with both one for record, but one uh, going on the inside. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We may get into that too, I don't know, but. Um, that is a big divide today uh, in, in Christianity. Uh, most Protestants say that it's only reckoned to us, it's only bookwork, but doesn't, nothing happens on the inside. But uh, Wagner, yes, yeah, only a declaration. But if you believe that that declaration is the power of God, as creative power, it's got to change, <laughs> got to change someone. And, uh, this is what I pray with Dennis Creighton's daughter. <clears throat> because he's bringing it out pretty clearly. If you don't have any change in your life, the legal declaration is not going to. Yeah. You have yeah. a change going Well, on. I would say the legal aspect, everyone is alive because of that, because of what Christ has done for them. That doesn't mean they're going to be eternally saved. But uh, God longs for everyone to be saved. And if, if we accept Christ, everything he's done becomes ours personally. I was just reading about that in Sacrificious today. Yeah. Talking about the, the grace of God transforms the life. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we need both. And uh, so, but the fall of Babylon, spiritual Babylon, was caused 
by failure to believe and accept God's message of justification in an end time setting. That is the third angel's message. Now, many of the Adventists, Millerites didn't understand it fully, but they had an experience with God. And I would say all of the Adventists, the leadership at that time, had an experience with God. They didn't understand it fully. And it wasn't until 1888 that the message came out clearly of righteousness by faith. Um, Jones and Wagner were, were uh, saying that the faith of Jesus is righteousness by faith. And this was new light uh, to the Adventists from the standpoint of they argued that the faith of Jesus was a set of doctrines like Jude, was talk, Jude talks about you're to, you're to contend with the faith, for the faith that was once delivered. And so they were looking at it from that standpoint. And so when Jones and Wagner said, no, it's an experiential uh, as well as legal, but, it's a, um, but it has to do with the faith of Jesus. And then that faith is given to us so we may have the faith of Christ. And they give some of our pastors a real faith. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So anyhow, um, so how's our time? We're not going to get through this today, but we've, we've got all week. So. I need, we, we need, it's what? Yeah. Uh, I've got to stop right at quarter after, so okay. if I go over, throw a shoe at me or something. So. But here, uh, God's method of justification. Number one, God's grace. Number two, the death of Christ, giving his life. By faith in Christ alone, and then the evidences of justification are seen in obedience to all of the commandments of God. And it's a loving obedience. It's not just, uh, oh, I'm going to grit my teeth and do it, you know. We love God and we want to follow him. And here I've, uh, I've added a fifth one, and I'm not going to deal with that yet. <laughs> uh, we'll come back to it. But we need to remember that justification is by God's grace. His grace is the source of justification. And I've got that. Uh, this is in Titus 3.7. Having been justified by grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And then 3.24 of Romans, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. And that word, uh, it's a verb, being, being justified, it's a present tense, continuous. And that's why I, was, I said earlier that justification doesn't stop. It continues with us. It, we don't, it, does, it does not increase like sanctification. Sanctification is a holiness, but we need the justification to cover our, even our sanctification. And so here, uh, I guess I've got to continue. I think the next couple of shows. Here you've got the cross. You've got justification. And then you have, what's happened here? Okay, I guess, okay, here we go. We, we, need, we need to be covered by God's work of justification as we're being sanctified. Sanctification is up and down. And so we need to be covered by that. And that's what justification does. I've got another one that, uh, that I use here. <clears throat> um, justification is like an umbrella. And, uh, and it moves, covering our sanctification always. <clears throat> because if we... And there's some people who... Uh, and the Catholics, uh, they're upfront about this. They believe that sanctification comes first. Sometimes, I mean, it depends on the literature you're reading. But they say baptism begins the sanctification. Sometimes they'll say justification also. But justification is never completed in this life. That's why they have to go to purgatory and have, uh, and have it burned out. Luther and uh, Calvin both rejected 
the uh, purgatory on the basis of justification by faith. <laughs> Luther threw out the immortality of the soul because of that. Calvin did not. But they both rejected uh, a purgatory because of, because of this. Yes? So, in that right there, righteousness by faith is when you get the umbrella? Is that how that works? Well, I would say that the cross of Christ would be the umbrella. But this, this dealing here primarily showing the relationship of justification by faith when we believe and uh, sanctification that covers us as we're growing. Uh, we're not cast off and we make a mistake, you know, but we, but we need to be covered by God's grace, by his, by his justification. I think I've got a, here's a statement here I think that goes along with that. Justification means the saving of a soul from perdition that he may obtain sanctification and through sanctification, the life of heaven. Justification means that the conscience, purged from dead works, is placed where it can receive the blessings of sanctification. And that's 7 BC 908. And then there's another one. This is from Signs of the Times, December of 1902, December 17. Justification means pardon. It means that the heart, purged from dead works, is prepared to receive the blessing of sanctification. So she's got it coming first. It has to be because that's the perfect work of Christ for us. And then when we believe, that perfect work begins in us. We're not perfected. Well, we're perfected in Christ's perfection, but there's still growth. And there's ups and downs like this. We're covered by his, by his righteousness all the time, both inside and outside. Sanctification means Yes. Right. And justification is the work of making the person righteous. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. And this is what's... De- uh, this is a problem with uh, the evangelical problem. Yes. And yep. it's not. It yep. sure is. Yep. A big problem with evangelicals. Yep. There are some that believe it, probably, but not, not yeah. many. Most uh, Lutherans do not believe it. Uh, but Luther did. You know, this, I wrote a paper on this years ago. Uh, the, um, there's some Finnish scholars who pointed out that Luther belief in justification by faith, that there was a change in the mind, that type of thing. And I've read uh, Des Ford and some of these men, they were saying that, that uh, yes, he, he was that way when he was immature, his beginning <laughs> years, but when he grew up spiritually, he cast that aside and used only a legal declaration with no change. But if you look at his work, uh, his book on Galatians, and that's where I went to. That was 1535. This is fairly close to the end of his life. It was a few, few more years. But he was mature at this time. And he talked about justification by faith, changing person on the inside. So there's, there's no doubt about it. Uh, and, uh, and some don't like to hear that. But. That's right. Exactly. Yeah. Well, it's very convenient to have just a declaration. Yeah. Where... Where it came from was what they call the, uh, <clears throat> the uh, <clears throat> message of Concord. This was after the Council of Trent. And they, they, were, they were fighting the Catholic idea because they, were, they, were, uh, they, saw, they saw a difference. The Church of Rome was saying that it's all on the inside, sanctification and justification. And so the reformers, or the Lutherans said, no, it's a legal dec- dec- declaration. And that buoyed up their position against Catholicism at that time. But they followed on that same track. And today, that's pretty much what you've got in Lutheranism, is yeah. only a legal declaration. Uh, <clears throat> they leave the other, leave the other out. But that, they're not, that, that, like I was saying, that leaves a convenience where you can continue and say, 
<clears throat> well, this is the danger of it. Yeah. 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 All right, let's go to Romans 5 9. How's our time? We've got a couple of minutes yet. Um, Paul says, Much more than having now been justified by his blood, so here you have Calvary, we shall be saved from wrath through him. And then, and that would be the legal aspect. Uh, and this, this happened at the cross for everyone. Then you have 5 1, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the experiential aspect. Mm-hmm. And uh, this, is the, this is the King James. Um, this is 1 for verse 5. We have received grace and apostleship for the obedience of faith. Obedience comes from our faith relationship with Christ. And, and then the last chapter also. So the book of Romans has both here, verse uh, 26, especially the King James. The mystery of God is made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. So you've got the book of Romans that's very strong on justification by faith, yet Paul did not throw out uh, obedience. Well, obedience, that's the outward, the outward actions. That's what can be seen. We can't always see faith, but we can see if a person is in harmony with God by, by their actions. Or fruit. What? Or fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, fruit, yeah, yeah. Um, so this is the one I left out earlier. The foundation of justification is that we are justified in Christ. In the Amplified Bible, there's other ones too that do this. Uh, uh, Galatians 2.17 says that we are justified by Christ. But the actual word in the original language is in Christ. And so that's a, summar- it's a summarization of all these. We're, we're justified by God's grace through the death of Christ by faith in Christ alone, and evidences of justification are seen in obedience to all of God's commandments. And then the fifth point is we're justified in Christ. And so everything is encompassed uh, by him. If we, if we receive him, he is the, uh, God's righteousness is embodied in Christ as a person. When we receive him, we receive righteousness, his life, ju- his life exactly, which is a life of righteousness. It is. Now I've got... Uh, Thirteen after, <laughs> but I'm about ready to stop. Uh, but here, uh, God's methods of justification are unleashed in the third angel's message. Here's the patience of the saints. Here are those who keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. Now, in the Hebrew mind, you have the effect um, followed by the cause. They'll say the effect, and then you, then when you get through, you get to the bottom, and they're talking about the cause. And so what we have in the third angel's message here, the faith of Jesus, the faith of Jesus leads us to obedience, which results in patience. It doesn't start with patience and then obedience and then faith. It starts with the faith of Jesus, then obedience, and that produces patience in, in, in God's, God's sight. But the unleashing of justification in its fullness causes great fury on the part of the beast and his image. Daniel 11.44, news from the east and from the north shall trouble him. Therefore, he shall go forth, go out with great fury to destroy and to annihilate many. But at that very same time, Michael, I think it was last night that, uh, that uh, yeah, Pastor Finley mentioned about uh, Christ standing up. And it's at this time that Michael, the prince or the king, 
stands up, and that means to, to rule. Chapter 11 talks about the, the kings of Persia. They stood up and they began to rule. So Christ is beginning to rule in behalf of his people. Now there's going to be some that will die during that time, but it does not matter at this point. They're going to see Christ come. when he come, They'll be raised at that time. But this is dealing with the time of trouble. Christ stands for his people during that time. And so we have nothing to fear. Um, then maybe one more, and we ought to maybe close with this one. The angel, this is Revelation 18.1, who unites in the proclamation of the third angel's message is, the, is to lighten the whole earth with his glory. A world of worldwide extent and unwanted power is here foretold. The Advent movement of 1840-44 to 44 was a glorious manifestation of the power of God. The first angel's message was carried to every missionary station in the world. And in some country, uh, countries, there was the greatest religious interest which has been witnessed in any land since the Reformation of the 16th century. But these are to be <laughs> exceeded by the mighty movement under the last warning of the third angel. And that would be the combination of chapter 18, verse 1, and Revelation 14. Now, this is... Years ago, I read something in A.T. Jones about ten times the power going with the message for the last days. And, but he gave no reference. I think he says, uh, well, i put on the next one. He proclaimed this kind of power will attend the third angel's message in comparison with the, the first two. And this is what he said. A testimony that has never been printed says that this, speaking of the latter rain, will come as suddenly as it did in 44, but with ten times the power. And that was one of his sermons, Third Angel's Message, uh, February 5, 1893. And so I began searching, not every day, but from time to time. I finally gave up. I could not find that in Ellen White. So I thought, well, it's one of those apocryphal statements. You know? so, so I was, then I, I, had, I had a book um, called well, um, Spalding and McGann. And this is what she said on page four. I saw the latter rain was coming as suddenly as, in the brackets were original, as the midnight cry with 10 times the power. <laughs> it's going to exceed Pentecost. It'll be the power of Pentecost, but it's going to be multiplied for the last days. It's going to go to every person, every town, every city in the world. The whole world is going to listen and they're going to know that it's right. And, there's, and there'll be some that will respond. Favorably, some will say, no, I don't want it. And that's, that will be, the clash will come, you know, at that point in time. Well, we better stop with that. There's, there's more, but uh, let's pray. <laughs> Gracious Father, thank you so much for the clearness of your word. And we thank you also for the spirit of prophecy. And we pray that we might have more of an understanding of what you're doing in heaven and what you're doing in our hearts and minds. Thank you, in Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.